0: As I listen to the words of that last song, it's amazing how much it fits with what we're going to talk about today. Hallelujah! It is finished. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for. Are you thankful for the cross today? Do we really understand what the cross of Christ means? Do we understand how that is significant to you, or do we just see it as some type of of image that we say, "Okay, yeah, the cross. Jesus did it." But I'm telling you today, I want to walk you through why the cross is significant. I think all of us have a pretty good idea of why the cross is significant. But today, I want to show you through the tabernacle and through some things that we've been looking at, just how significant the cross is. We're going to do some learning today. So if you take notes, you're going to need to take notes, okay? Because we're going to go deep today, and I'm not going to apologize for it, all right? I'm going to shove some big old T-bone in your mouth, all right? We're going to start chewing. Before we do, let's pray that God would give us jawbone muscles. How about that? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be here. I know that you already are, so I just pray that we would understand that you are here. I pray that we would be able to feel your presence, that it would affect the way that we read, the way that we listen the way that we understand the words that are coming out of the preacher's mouth not because of anything good in him not because of anything that he might have come up with this week because the power of the holy spirit is moving in this place and the word of god is going forward and we know that the word will not return void God, I pray that it would be effective this morning, that it would be as sharp as a two-edged sword, able to pierce all the way down to the heart and the soul, and that things in us would be revealed, and that things in us would be changed, and that we would see you for who you are in a more clear light so that we would more properly worship and live for you every minute, every second, every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. Help us, God, to be a sold-out people who live continually thankful for the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to be uh, first in Exodus chapter 27. If you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 27. We are looking at the brazen altar, okay? Uh, The title of today's sermon is The Blood on the Altar. And we're going to look at what the significance is of the altar, what the significance is of where the altar is in the tabernacle. And if if this is your first week here, we've been looking at the tabernacle, trying to learn what God has for us in the Old Testament and how that applies to us here in the New Testament age. And what we've said real quick in a nutshell is is that if you do not have understanding of the Old Testament, you cannot properly understand understand the new testament and vice versa if you don't have a proper understanding of the new testament you cannot rightfully read and understand the old testament because we need both one's not more important than the other they are both hinging on one another and they're telling one big meta-narrative or one big story you see all of all of redemptive history god has been telling one story and that is how he was going to send his son to redeem a lost and broken world So this morning, we are going to go. Last week, we looked at kind of the big picture of the tabernacle and the fact that it had to be made in a certain way, and there was only one way that you could go through it. And we said there is only one way to salvation. There is only one way to wholeness. There is only one way to heaven, so to speak. And heaven really is just the presence of God and the fulfillment and the relationship with God and being adopted fully as sons by which we would just stand next to God and that we would be able to call him father that we would have oneness with God which is actually uh, what we're going to talk about today and that is atonement atonement will be a big word today if you want to go ahead and write atonement down and I heard it said before and I read it several times today I think maybe even Mark was talking to me about this the other day a good way to understand atonement is just to break it down to at-one-ment. It is to be at one, it is, to be over, it is to be covered over your sins so that you can come back and be at one with God. So today we're gonna to talk about atonement. We're gonna throw a couple of big words out, but I wanna break them down as best as I can so that you can understand exactly what God is showing you about the cross of Christ. Let's read the scriptures and, and let's go ahead and jump in. You guys ready to learn something about Jesus? Come on, y'all ready to learn? This is the word of God, okay? Here we go. Exodus chapter 27, starting in verse 1. You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns on it for... I'm sorry, you sh- and you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and firepans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall also make for a grating a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings, bronze rings as, as its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be. Now, that was like Spanish, right? (laughs) Right? Where is she at? Come on back up here and interpret for us. I want to show you this because number one I want to show you is is that the altar as well had to be made in a specific way with certain types of materials, certain types of overlay, certain construction dimensions and things like that and it had to be put in a certain place within the tabernacle. Now, her handy dandy notebook, board. When we had the tabernacle laid out here, what we have is this surrounded by one large curtain that was supported by poles and you could only come in one way. We talked about how Jesus Christ said of himself that I am the gate. Jesus also said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, there is only one way. You can't come here, you can't come here, you can't come here. There's only one way to get to the presence of God and that is through the gate that's on the east side. We must come in through the one gate. And when we come in through the one gate, there is one piece of furniture right here that we will run into first every single time. And this is the brazen altar or the bronze altar, okay? Now, this is important because when you come in to the presence, when you try to get to the presence of God, which is contained in the Ark of the Covenant, you must come through the gate and the first piece of furniture you get to is the brazen altar. You can go no other way. It's unmistakable and it's undeniable. The altar, the sacrifice must be first. We cannot get it out of order. We must experience the cross of christ the altar first now this altar when you got here it was made a certain way it was perfectly square it had horns on each corners it had rings that it could be carried and it had a grate in the middle it was five by five and i'll turn this around i got it on the other side drawn it was five by five and it was three cubits deep or that seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet that puts in a little bit better perspective for us so I'm six foot one so this is six foot okay this is roughly six foot from fingertip to fingertip add on another foot and a half and then it was this way too you see how big this thing is now it wasn't just a little bitty altar where you put a little bitty piece of meat on there it was huge it was bigger than I am it was longer than my hands and so it would cover about the whole front of this stage and it was made so you could lay whole animals on this thing at a time it was made to burn Burn offerings, sin offerings, you would cut and slaughter a bull, a great big bull, and you would skin it and you would put the bull on there. And that burn offering or sin offering would be to atone for the sins of the priest and the people and everybody else involved that came offering a sacrifice, okay? So this was a really big altar. It was made to handle a lot of blood and a lot of burning of innocent animals and a lot of death. You see, a lot of churches want to take away the blood. They want to take away the death. They want to take away the the nasty side of things. Why do we have to have all of that blood? Can't we all just be nice? Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just experience the presence of God because God, you know, loves everybody. You cannot get to the love of God unless you go through the death and the blood and the pain And the sacrifice, you cannot get there. This is first and foremost. The first thing I want to show you today is, and I don't have a bunch of notes because I want you to be able to just write, 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 is the necessity of of the altar. One author put it this way. The altar is positioned to be first. One author put it this way. He said, though the altar does not represent the full redemption of man, it represents the beginning of the work of redemption. Redemption begins in death. The old life must die before the new life begins. The old life must die before the new life begins. You see, you must enter in through the altar, and you must hit it first before anything else happens. Now, I want to break it down a little bit better for you. This is, the, this is the brazen altar in a little bit better form, 3D form. So you can see here that it's five cubits by five cubits, perfectly square and three foot deep with a, with a grate here and rings. Wood would go through this and wood would go through this because this was a portable tabernacle. And as the people moved around, they would keep the presence or the tent or the tabernacle in the middle of the people because God dwells Where? in the midst of his people you remember that so God wants to dwell in the midst of his people and so they would make this movable so they had rings on the ark of the covenant as well and they would move this around they would move it it was portable and so they would set it back up but it had to be set up just exactly like this and it had to be five by five now five in the numbers are important and I'm not a I'm not really smart when it comes to biblical numbers some people really really are and they are significant I'm trying to learn more about it but now Five is not the number of, I thought this was very, very, very interesting, and this absolutely smacked me in my face today, okay? Or this past week or two weeks or month. The number five in the scriptures is not the number of perfection. Some of you may know, what's the number of perfection in the scriptures? Seven, that's right, good job. Now, real quick, I just thought this was very interesting. How many pieces of furniture are there in the tabernacle? One, count with me, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then in here was uh, Aaron's rod, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven so there's seven in here so we see that we got to get to the presence of God to get to the perfection of God okay but this is five by five meaning that it is the number of completion or the number of ministry or the number of sacrifice this is a completed work but it's not a perfect work and one other author said this he said this altar being square shows the equality required by God of each minister with Christ in his or her willingness to sacrifice for that for that matter, every child of God who comes to this altar is required to be of the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. In Matthew 20, 22, Jesus asked James and John, are you able to drink of the cup that I will drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am about to be baptized with? Now, this was before his death. What baptism do you think that he was about to be baptized with? That's right, the baptism by fire. The baptism by fire. We are to go in to the tabernacle and the first thing that we hit is the altar and all believers are called to be killed on the altar of Christ. You see, so many people, church, can you hear me right now? So many people want to hold on to their life and they say, no, I will not give this up. I will not die to this flesh. I will not die to this pleasure. I'm going to hold on to this. I am not willing to drink the cup that you are drinking, Jesus. Jesus. I am not willing to go into the fire of the altar. I am not willing to go under the knife of the word of God. I am not willing to give up what I love to do. Do you think that you'll have a place in the presence of God if you're unwilling to suffer the sacrifice with Christ? You see, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. You must give your life to him and you must lay it down on the altar for it to be slaughtered before God. You see, the next part that we get to are the horns that are on the altar. Here are the horns here, there's four on each one. We're gonna jump over now to Leviticus chapter 16. This is actually a example of the day of atonement when the high priest would come in and they would make sacrifices on the altar. So this is actually a place where the altar was used and this is what he says. We're gonna start in verse 11. You see, we must present this offering before the Lord so that it would go up to the Lord and make atonement for our sins and cover over our sins. You see, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. How many of you have broken a law? How many of you have broken one of God's moral laws? You say, I see so many people to say, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I've never done this, 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 and this. But the problem is that Jesus Christ takes it from a moral written code down to a heart law, a law of grace. And he says, you have seen it written, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that any man that looks on another woman with lust has already already committed adultery in his heart. I say to you, you have seen it written, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that every man who has hated another in his heart has already committed murder. In this room right here, we are all adulterous murderers. You see, the altar is standing at the beginning of the tabernacle screaming, you must die or you cannot enter in. You cannot enter in, you say, Brandon, this is really just a, this is a a heavy, heavy sermon. Why can't you just preach butterflies and candy or something? Because without the cross, we have nothing. Without the cross, we have nothing. And we've we've gotta go through the cross to get to the presence. Listen to this, the horns are a sign of power and force. Six men took in the animal to be sacrificed, generally against its will. Listen to this. Very often the outer court was a place of confusion. Men struggling with animals, animals bellowing. I want you to picture this now. Animals bellowing and fighting in a vain effort to save their lives. It was a place of evil smells with the odor of blood and the noxious bowels of animals. You see, right outside the door, it said that it, when you brought a sacrifice, you must bring your best. And what would happen is you would bring the this, this, this sacrifice to the high priest, and the high priest would take the knife, and he would gut the animal. He would slit the throat of the animal, and the blood would run out onto the ground. And as a matter of fact, they had special utensils that when the blood would start to come out, they would catch as much of it as they could. They would catch as much of it as they could and then they would skin the animal, they would save the blood, then they would skin the animal and they would take the skin of the animal and it was for the priest and they would take the bowels of the animal and sometimes they would burn them all up, sometimes they would carry them outside the camp. It was was all a big bloodbath. Once they got through burning the sacrifice, sometimes the high priest would eat it, taking in the flesh of the animal, we won't get into that, sometimes it would just burn completely away, signifying that the sins of the people had been burnt completely away. But then they would take the blood into, now on the day of atonement, they would take the blood into the, into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And they would throw the blood on the mercy seat. They would throw the blood against the altar. They would throw the blood on themselves saying, God, we have taken this innocent animal. And we have cast our sins on this animal and we have slain this animal, signifying that our sins are covered by the blood of this animal. You see that? You see, everybody knew they could not approach God because of the sin that they had in their life. They had broken God's law, and if you break God's law, it's death. Because there is nothing, there is nothing outside of God that is life. When we sin against God, we take ourselves out of the presence of God, and out of the presence of God is death and death alone. So we must go through the altar. Now I've got a couple of different words for you here. And I'm going to break these down. So I don't want you to think that these are, oh no, big, big old words. Today I want to, talk, I want to tell you about penal substitutionary atonement. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but this is a a doctrine that explains how we are overwhelmed and overcome and absolutely taken to the presence of God and our sins are paid for through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I want to read a couple of verses to you. Let's continue in Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 15. Listen to this. Now, listen close. Talking about Aaron, the high high priest. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall, listen to this, make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions all their sins there's a whole lot of stuff right there but I can't go into it and so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for the house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Now what he is saying here when he takes the blood and he has killed this animal, he has put it in here, he takes the blood, he throws it all around, he takes the blood, he puts it on the horn so that the blood would run down the horns. The horns are a sign of force and power and what he's saying is that there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. You see, there's power nowhere else that can save you from your sins. Only the power in the blood has the power to wash away your sins. How many of you have heard that old hymn before? There is power, power, one to work in power in the blood, come on. Of the Lamb, oh yeah, that's coming back to me now. You see, there's power in the blood. These horns, when you saw a bull, it was stood for power and force, and it did what it wanted to, when it wanted to. And this was a sign that it would die, giving up its power, and the power was in the blood. It goes on. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Listen to this, and when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. Now, this is something right here that I've always found very fascinating. There was two goats. There was one goat that was slaughtered, and there was a live goat as well. The one is the, the Lord's goat, the Lord's goat, and this one is called the scapegoat, the scapegoat. Listen to what it says. You see we have two things going on at the altar in the tabernacle or on the cross of Christ. The first thing we have is called propitiation. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, it says that Jesus Christ has made propitiation for our sins. It also uses that word in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, and in several other places. The propitiation of sins means that he pays the penalty. You see, this is what would happen when these these animals were slaughtered before the Lord. There were two goats. One goat was made for atonement. It was killed. So the, the sins of the people were cast onto the goat, and God looked at the goat. The people looked at the goat. The high priest looked at the goat and they said you have committed sin instead of these you have committed sin so you must die so the person did not die so they would slay that goat and this was pay to pay the penalty of the sin but there was a second goat and this right here is what I want to talk to you about for just a minute because most all of us here understand this most everyone here everything I've said up to this point is not really a surprise You've heard that before, that Jesus Christ has paid for your sin on the cross, that he stood in your place. See, penal is penalty. Substitutionary is self-explanatory, and it means that he was in your place. And atonement means that he covered over or paid for your sin. So he paid the penalty by substituting himself to make atonement for your sins, penal substitutionary atonement. I want to show you an aspect of atonement which gets left out most all the time, which is called expiation. Now, ex means from, to go away from. Looking at propitiation means that your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been paid for. The penalty has been taken care of by the death of Christ on the cross, by the death of the goat. But expiation means is not only is your penalty paid for, but your sins have been carried away. You see, I wanna show you something right here because at the end of the day, a lot of us say, Brandon, I know what you're talking about. I know that, that, that I must die. I know that I'm a terrible person. So many of us say, I know i got sin in my life. I know there's so many things. And I need that altar, Brandon. I need that altar because I need to be punished because I'm a terrible person. Everything in me is, is, is awful. You see, we're the one or two extremes. We think that we can win God's affection and approval and we think that we've made it or we think that we never can. And a lot of people who come to Christ think that they have come to Christ and their sins have been paid for but they're still a piece of crap. I know I'm not supposed to use that, I'm sorry, but But a a big steaming pile of dung, how about that? You don't see yourself as a wonderfully, beautifully made image of God who has been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, who has been made new, who is a saint before the eyes of God, whose sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, who has, who has had all of their sins removed from them to a remote place where nobody knows them anymore. You see, the first section of the tabernacle is the altar. The cross of Christ. But let me tell you right now, if you sit down at the cross of Christ, you might as well be Elijah sitting under the fig tree. You got to move on, brother. You got to move on. Now, am I diminishing the cross in any way, shape, form, or fashion? If you've known me for two seconds, you know I would never. The cross of Christ is where it all begins and it all hinges. If you don't have the cross, you have nothing. But what I am saying unto you is that, man, know, how many times am going to flip this thing? The brazen altar being five cubits by five cubits. You know, God could have made it seven by seven. And it would have been the perfect, complete work of God. But it's five by five because it completes a work. The propitiation and the expiation of sin the penal substitutionary atonement that was needed for you and for me to have our sins cleansed but it is not the perfection of the redemptive work of God we must then come to the brazen altar where our sins are washed away come on in fellas the water is fine you see this is and when we get into this when we go a little bit farther I wish I just had all the time in the world but see all of this you got to think of is is, is several different forms of baptism. You see, first we have the natural birth, which is baptism by water, right? And then as we go through life and as we are crucified on the cross with Christ, it is the baptism of fire. And then once we experience the baptism of fire and we, we, we lay our sins down at the altar of Christ and it is murdered on the cross of Christ along with him, you see, a lot of people want to stop here. A lot of people want to say that, that Jesus Christ died and paid God back for our sins, but they want to say, but you still need to go now and repent, and you need to make yourself better. They would say it kind of like this, is that the cross of Christ brings you even with the house. You're not in sin anymore, but you're not seated in the heavenlies either. You're kind of breaking even now now you better get busy and work hard so am I telling you that it's not important to work isn't this a conundrum that we're in because what I'm suggesting is that Jesus Christ as when he died on the cross is is an effective work to overwhelm your sins and to carry your sins far away from you, making you a, a saint, seating you in the heavenly places. So then, Brandon, why do I work? Why work? Why go do good? Why Why read my Bible? Why sacrifice? Why go on mission? Why do what? I can do whatever I want to do. I'm already seated in the heavenly places. If that's the question, then that's even the wrong question. You see, we don't work in order to gain favor with God but we were because we have gained favor with God you see the cross of Christ is the beginning the altar is only the beginning now I told you about the lamb and it's it's time for me so I'm gonna gonna start wrapping now I told you about the bull that was made to overwhelm and cover the sins of the priest, so that he could even go before the Lord okay And then there was the goat that he would slaughter and offer up to the Lord for the sins of the people, which propitiated or paid the penalty for the people who had sinned against him. And then he would take another goat and he would lay his hands on the goat, signifying that his that the people's sins and his sins were cast onto this goat. And then I just picture him at the I picture him at the 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 gate of the temple and he put his hands on the goat and he said, "Pah!" And that goat took off. You know, he's like, "There goes my sins." You know, I, would, I, I always thought, what if it stopped like 10 feet out? Get on, get out of here, go! That's what I would do, like when I come up on a dog, you know. Get on out of here, because I don't want my, my sins gone. You know, wouldn't it be crazy? Then it's like 100 foot, and it's like, that stupid goat. So you get on your camera, and you're like, Jason, you're going to run this goat on out of here this is the picture I wonder how many of you right now you've you've experienced propitiation but and you see if you've experienced the atonement if you have if you've had your sins paid for then you've actually experienced the the casting away or the expiation or the removal of your sins too you may just not realize it. you see oftentimes I think that we are able to identify with the death of Christ here's another way of saying it I think a lot of times a lot of us are able to identify with the death of Christ but we've never identified with his resurrection to life you think Jesus stayed in the grave why do you stay in the grave my brother why do you stay in the grave sister why do you live as if you're dead why do you live as if your sin will never be defeated or is not defeated why do you why do you live in complete and utter just just torment all the time why do I why do I slip back into condemnation because my Bible tells me in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death don't you realize that he didn't just pay the price for your sin he cast your sin to the uttermost you're a saint in the eyes of the Lord. Don't stop at the cross of Christ, keep on going, experience the resurrection from the dead. The Bible tells me, so we've got the propitiation, the Lord's goat and the scapegoat, I want to take you to just a couple of New Testament passages that shows Jesus Christ, I think this is, if you've ever been in church more than five minutes then you've probably heard some of these, but we cannot go until we talk about Jesus which I think I've been talking about them for a while but I'm going to do it a little bit more. You know these verses. I want you to think about the Lamb of God. I want you to think about the ram that was stuck in the bushes when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. I want you to think about the scapegoat that was ran far away. I want you to think about the goat that was killed and its blood was thrown around everywhere. All of this was just to point to a greater truth. How do I know that? Am I making that up just because I love Jesus? No. If you want to turn with me, you can, otherwise I'll read it. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near did you see that it can never it can never it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near why because these are imperfect sacrifices that do not measure up listen it goes on otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins You see, the the high priest year after year after year would kill thousands. Can you imagine? I want to take you back one more second to the altar in the tabernacle. Can you imagine there was thousands of goats and bulls over the years killed and slaughtered in this place? Can you imagine? Can you imagine all the blood and the guts and the gore everywhere all the time, all the washing and trying? You'd never get the stink out. The stinks just soaked right in. It was a place of disgust. Who would want to live there? Don't live at the altar. You see, it had to be done year after year after year. It says, but in these sacrifices, listen to this. But in these sacrifices, now listen, we say, why do we got to read this stuff? Because we need to understand what is needed for me and what is needed for you. Because if we don't understand this, when it says, in what I'm about to read in just a second, John chapter 1, verse 29, we do not get the full impact of it. But if we understand the tabernacle and the fact that they killed goat and bull after bull after bull and continually they killed it and killed it and another high priest would come and he would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would kill and he would bring blood and he would he would pour out the blood and sprinkle the blood and all these of things year after year after year if it would have worked if it would have cleansed of sin we wouldn't need that anymore but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins you say why did they do that Why did they do this over and over, getting blooded? Why did they do it? Because God was saying, there is another, there is another, there is another. You have sins that have to be dealt with. Where there is sins, there must be blood. Where there is sins, there must be blood. Where there is sins, there must be blood. For the wages of sin is death, and everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, you must die. This is the truth of death in general. Why do you think everything dies? Why do you think everything dies? It's because everything is sinful and broken and corrupt. Therefore, everything dies. Have you ever noticed in life everything's fighting against you? Have you ever noticed in life that there is nothing here that lasts? Nothing? People get hurt. People get damaged. People die. Things break down. Things get damaged. You're getting older. Some of you are old as the hills right now knocking on death's door knock knock knocking on death door hopefully it's heaven's door I don't think I'm supposed to be singing those kinds of songs you see everything is broken everything is corrupt this is the curse that came through the first Adam this is the curse that came through the first Adam that wouldn't use the word of God to do battle against Satan and therefore the enemy came in and death came in and sin came in and now everything's broken and everything's going away. And we just experience loss and trouble all the time. But listen to this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in, this, in the scroll of the book. You see, Jesus Christ came to do the will, of, the will of God in perfect obedience, enabling him to be the one that would go before the Lord as the offering and as the sacrifice. The one who would offer the sacrifice and the sacrifice and that's why John, now knowing all of that, this is the last verse of scripture, I'll read, knowing all of that, It gives different weight to John, chapter 1, starting in verse 29, when John, you see John, we got prophet, priest, and king all right here. They come and ask John, are you the prophet? No, I'm not the one who is the prophet. I'm just the one who is preparing the way. Preparing the way for who? It says the next day, this is verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, he has all of his disciples standing around him. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. You see, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the perfect unblemished Lamb of God who lays his life down on the altar to pay forevermore for the sins that you have committed. Penal substitutionary atonement. Do you understand what this means? It means the fact that Jesus Christ had no sins, yet he experienced the death that sins require. Why? Why was he ever killed in the first place? Because the wages of sin is death. He did so because our sins were cast onto him, just like the goat in Leviticus 16. Our sins were cast onto him, and as God looked at him, he poured out his wrath on your sins and on my sins. He carries the sins far away. Second Corinthians says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. As we all stand to our feet, I want you to, I want you to think about a few things. I want you to ask yourself where you are in life right now I want you to ask yourself have I ever had my sins paid for you know you're a sinner there's not a person under the sound of my voice that doesn't know they're a sinner and you say well Brandon I'm a good person yeah I've got sin in my life but I'm a good person no listen listen to me and listen to me well Where there is sin, there will be death. There will be a body on that altar. There will be flesh on fire. There will be. It is unavoidable and it is unmistakable. There will be flesh in the fire. The only question is, Will it be your flesh, or will it be His? You see, Jesus Christ has gone before us, and He has taken our sins onto His back and received the beating that it required. He received the death and the wrath that it required. And if you would accept Jesus Christ as your substitutionary atonement, if you would accept Christ in your place to pay your then you can be set free from the penalty and I want you to know something today that if you've, if you've never allowed Jesus Christ to stand in your place then he is standing with open arms today ready to pay your penalty but not only pay your penalty but remove your sins away from you and give you the opportunity to move on to the sanctification of our souls we're going to look at the the water basin next week or the baptism of the holy spirit you see jesus christ is longing to stand in your place and experience the the excruciating pain of the cross and i and i say that he's longing i don't say that just i don't say that just just throwing it out there I know that the book of Hebrews tells me that for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising its shame you are the joy that was set before him that that caused him to endure this excruciating cross he was glad to go for you will you stand and say no you've got the right to do that You can make that decision today. You can stand and you can say no. And one day you will be on fire. Because somebody's going to die. Or you can accept Christ's sacrifice. And you can, with John, proclaim, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's another group in here who you experience the propitiating power of Christ. Your, Your sins have been paid for. You've been justified by the Lamb of God. You have been paid for in full. But you're still living in defeat. You're still living as if you're not free. You're still living under the condemnation that comes with with sin and heartache and pain. You're not living in the freedom that Christ offers. And I know that this is tough. But I want to tell you right now that through Jesus Christ and the cross, you have the opportunity and you have the right to go before the throne of grace. You have the opportunity to be filled up full of the power of the Holy Spirit and to live at another level. Not that you're better than anyone, but that you are set free from the rigors of this world. How many of you would like to to partake of that freedom? Would like to say, Lord, I've, I've been there with you in your death, Lord, I'm ready to be there with you in your life. I'm ready to experience the freedom. That comes from the removal of my sins. Some of you are just addicts, slaves to sin, but there's freedom in Christ. I want to invite you this morning to come and lay your sins down at the altar, to lay your sins down at the foot of the cross so that you can so that you can move on. So that you can start to live life. Your sins have been dealt with both paid for and cast out, come, come to the foot of the cross, come to Jesus, he's for you and not against you, come, come today.